Alright, in we go with some new intro music for you. A song by Cantrips called The Big Break. Check the link in the show notes for the full track. This is a dialogue with the one and only Layman Pascal, and it's absolutely full of words. Many of those words are part of sentences, and some of the sentences are even comprehensible. Layman, though, is a rare and widely insightful general thinker and practitioner with a sophisticated grasp of multiple domains of philosophy and spiritual practice. And to be fair, that's underselling him, I think. He has become a key public node interfacing with many influential voices on the forefront of integral thinking. Now, bit of viewer discretion. Before you listen any further, this dialogue becomes particularly esoteric by about 25 minutes in. I heard it said recently that participating in voicecraft conversations are like taking a drug that's not a drug. So perhaps the best way to approach this if you're not familiar with the long-running threads of inquiry of this project is as something of a trip. A trip where on several occasions I make trade-offs this project always makes, favouring the quality of the wrestle over brevity and concision where that's not possible. After all, this project is dedicated to voice that truly wrestles with critical skin-in-the-game questions a genuine relationship between seeking and knowing. I hope this is the kind of podcast that a certain percentage of listeners will love because of that, where the effort made to furnish the context of some of the questions and tensions I pose to laymen helps to shine some perspective on the territory that this work is working with, and thereby connect with those who seek to move closer in participation with this ecology. The backdrop dynamics in play here relate to systemic transition, relational context creation, psycho-spiritual, ecologic praxis. Topics revolve around a philosophical shamanism in a digital age across the time between worlds. All the memes, hey? And amongst it all, I hope there are many notes of clarity and intrigue for you here among the denser terms. Certainly what Lehman has to share is typically rich and clear, at least as I hear it. So if you feel a resonance, stick around. There's a good chance that forthcoming podcast will focus on topics without anywhere near as much assumption of prior knowledge. This is all groundwork to better participate with and understand how to address the need for deeper, broader collective relating with real patterns and wiser potentials for living. So, you know, Lehman, I began last night, yesterday, I wanted to prepare a little bit. And so I tried to do that in this case, but I really only got one question in. And that question is simply, what is a Lehman Pascal? Well, <laughs> I can tell you've done your prep work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> A, a layman Pascal is a uh, a partially fictional creature that is um, was invented in order to allow my personal artistic and spiritual inclinations to interface with a number of meta theory oriented communities, but then it kind of grew to performing some kind of social interface and esoteric function in these spaces. 
So now Lehman Pascal seems like a uh, a production site for conversations and writings and the uh, constant suggestion that some kind of meta-shamanic network has to emerge within and through these overlapping developmental theory and transformational communities. Yeah, nice. I can tell you've been looking at yourself in the mirror a little bit or whatever comes back <laughs> on the small box in the Zoom setup. Is it your birth name? Did you construct it? It's a uh, it's a slight variation of my birth name. It, it began as a kind of nickname because it's got a lot of the same letters as my birth name. Um, also, there's a bit of a joke about the way I talk, which friends used to say, like, I talk... Uh, too intellectually about colloquial things and too colloquially about intellectual things. Right. Uh, but also there's a famous character from Zen history called Layman Pang that uh, I've got some resonances with. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that I was kind of wondering because it, it does fit very well. I mean, from my perspective, you're someone who's able to speak a range of esoteric languages in a way that is very relatable, in, in a way that does very much make it something alive, you know, something alive and fluent. I mean, I, I certainly relate to the attempt to speak. It's any sort of esoteric, esoteric speech I've done in my life has really just been an effort to speak honestly. So in that sense, it's been very much alive. But it's, it has been a, an ongoing challenge, this relationship between, uh, well, the relationship I have anyway to responding to the question, so what are you doing? Yeah, or what's this about? I often give, on the face of it, what might seem like very different answers, depending on who I'm speaking to. But for me, they are very deeply connected. Something about being able to translate some truthful orientation with respect to a very complex endeavor such as life to many people to be able to build bridges in that way is something of this meta shamanic eh? yeah i mean uh, you know there's no way there's a kind of fantasy that people sometimes have which is like why can't we just put this in the language of the regular person uh, which is a good impulse, but also a completely fictitious impulse, because the best you can do is say the things you're excited about in the way that makes the most sense to you. You can't really tactically engineer uh, common speech. And it's kind of a fantasy to think that you're the one who understands what the common people want anyway, right. and that it's all just a matter of marketing and having the right phraseology. But for me, uh, I need to understand things very personally. I need to understand them emotionally. I need to understand them in my body. I need to be able to take an idea and connect it to other parts of my life that aren't immediately obviously connected to it. And until I have that, until I have my own phrasing, until I can ground it in myself as a regular guy, um, I don't feel like I understand it. So if I have some capacity to do that phrasing, and that's dubious because I also, I can like stray into all kinds of weird bullshit and esoteric <laughs> speak as well. But I think I do try to make it as earthy as I can because I need that.
Yeah, right. My my experience feels very much the same. And I just wonder how much that might be surprising to people. In fact, I think it it's almost certainly the case that rather than earthy, often that very attempt, especially when, that's the thing, when one wants to ground something in one's personal life, maybe to share connection to that grounding is itself a very personal thing and that's an energetic exchange and that takes time and might not even be wanted or invited maybe in fact it would be so personal and that's felt in a way and someone might not want to step closer into it and so perhaps it's felt very much like something rather than earthy up in the air hey oh that's so up in the air there's this something of a losing of orientation and um, I think that's something in the context of having conversations where there are many viewpoints and wanting to stay in relational coherence with the peaks and the troughs of a movement through ideas. That's really, really key. It's how to maintain or return in a flow where mutual orientation remains possible. But you know, to be meaningful, it often is the case that we're breaking frames just a little bit, involving ourselves in reconstructing them. And so there are always these steps into not knowing and how do we relate with that. And so it does seem it's very much a an ongoing experiment, but not one that's again done without an orientation with respect to how wide a gap, how you know, how long is the leap one takes into attempting to stay in integrity with that bridge making process. I'm kind of conscious that we've began to jump right in here, and maybe f- for the sake of a podcast. I think it would be interesting actually to ask you, you used the term meta-shamanic before. And I care a lot about what you mean by that in the sense of I've, it's something to continually check myself about. The notion of bridge maker in relation there is important. What do you mean by it? What does it mean to a layman Pascal? Yeah, it's a word that uh, I think I used for the first time in a podcast that we were on together. And I've been thinking about what I mean by that and the kind of distinction I'm trying to make between metashamanic and just shamanic. Uh, so the first thing I would say is that the metashamanic is, it doesn't exclude, but it doesn't privilege the sort of traditional ethnically embedded role of the shaman. Where it's going to say that that's an example of a broader phenomenon. And how do we examine the type of human being that could be capable under the right conditions, uh, under lucky conditions of being able to develop intact their shamanic sensitivities, their shamanic capacities. So that's one is it looks outside of the traditions. Uh, Two is that it's focused on generating and regenerating um, a shamanic dharma. Right, that we, we can't just work from what we've inherited. We have to be able to make it fresh 
right? And that's partly an issue for this moment in history, but it's partly something that will be an issue at every moment in history. Is we have to be able to reinvent shamanism. Uh, the third one is that we're looking at it from a metacognitive, multi-perspectival type of cognition facing the transcultural reality of the metacrisis. We're looking for the role that it can play in all of that. And I think um, what I'm also doing is making an invitation to people who have a lot of the temperament that would draw a person toward the experiences that build up shamanic capacity. And I'm asking them to keep their interpretations extremely open about the process that they're going through and be researchers about that process as they go through it. Because maybe there are new and different ways to talk about this thing that is uh, an ancient, organic, and necessary piece of our human legacy. Yes. Yes, I like that. Thank you. There is something about the mutual learning aspect that seems extremely important in the context of teaching, which is what you've just indicated. I'd like to maybe pick back up on that, but perhaps some more framing questions would be helpful. So I think it does make sense to consider the meta-shamanic in relationship to such contexts as meta-crisis and in general an attempt to name where we can the dynamics that we're a part of and the nature of culture and the world today and how we interact with nature of course and how we as beings are involved in that so what can you say about the arena in which the meta shamanic finds itself or this particular type of individual where are we where are we Here's the arena that I think evokes the meta-shamanic. Um, we're at a point where local cultural traditions can't quite satisfy us because we're in a transcultural context, and that gives us something in common with the kind of people that generated the traditions and lineages in the first place. Where you could say we're in a kind of uh, emerging post-civilization space and we have to look back to the people who stood at the beginning of the civilization that we inherit and that those people were characterized by a shamanic tendency i think we're in a situation of convergent crises um, all of which can't be processed by the strategies of the dominant civilization and which require us to be different kinds of people and by and large, those crises require us to be more ecological, more embodied, fold in altered states of consciousness, and be capable of generating new rituals and new sacred practices. And so all of that sort of falls under the general archetype of what we might call shamanic, although we could use any other word for it if we wanted to. Yes, right. And some of those other words or phrases might be perhaps just to help listeners who are stepping into this territory more or less for the first time. I think I used the word bridge making before. The idea being here that there's a lot, there's really quite a lot. Not only is there a lot to 
understand in the nature of the arena that we participate in at this moment in civilization. But in mentioning something like ecology, we're of course speaking about such a complex territory, such a complex web of interdependent life-death processes, which themselves are always changing. And so many of those relationships, at least individually, but collectively as well, we are still very much coming into relationship with. I mean, what is it to really reconnect with intelligences other than our own in some way enabling of synergy rather than the kind of extraction is a bit of a too basic word perhaps to use, but just immediately, whether working with or using what appears to be the case in the world we're a part of without necessarily understanding how some of that deeper relational context is so crucial to the stability of the patterns that we rely on and that which we are. And so that's just in the word ecology. And then there's all the lenses of perception that we view the world through and view ourselves through and that animate our desires or at least interwoven with how we come to play our desires out in the world so many different ways of naming the good so many ways of naming what kind of orders and structures are still vital or not vital in this time so many ways that identity is committed toward the good or perhaps simply toward the effective in some short-term context for some pragmatic end whether security or what have you and so whether it's religion or attempts to understand that which we do not understand, it's um, there's really so much to be in relationship with in the context of holding open to the reality that is experienced by those, let's say, in participation or those wanting to come together, but also very much as well the insights or knowings of truth in relationship to that process of understanding, broader understanding. And so some words thrown out a wall to try and name some things. Think about bridge making in the context. I, I, I do like that one because it does speak to the notion of integrity quite well. Bridge has to be able to sway in order to maintain itself, has to be able to give with the conditions a little bit give with the wind and the current and all of that and yet there has to remain an orientation as to what in that sense the center of the balance must be in order for the bridge to remain capable of linking lands and it's in that awareness that participation in orientation as return to what can hold open that bridge in some sense that I think we we find or we, we, we can recognize a kind of, I think we can say in the context of perhaps metamodernism, a particularly metamodern aptitude, but also I think um, touch point with metaphysics in the sense in where the language of truth in a very deep way becomes important to use 
this capacity to participate in orientation, to know itself as undergoing process of transformation, to source that in some way and to be able to share that and connect with others and in sharing in that way and participating together, even though let's say the the particular quantified space that the bridge is holding might be changing, there is in fact a deeper process critical to the integrity of what we believe to be, know to be, always already in connection, in fact, in some deep level, to know itself as such. It's like a deep kind of service of continuity with respect to how truth can know itself in relation. So I'm wondering how you relate to that in terms of perhaps how you think about it intellectually, but also experientially in the context of how you show up in conversation, in your efforts to connect people in processes of understanding. You know, that seems to be something you're doing. I'm building off this metaphor of the bridge. You know, a lot of it has to do with in-betweenness of various kinds, relationality of various kinds. I spent a lot of time building up a thing I called the metaphysics of adjacency, which was an attempt to describe the metaphysics of uh, pluralistic, integrative, and non-dual world spaces. Right. So one thing they have in common is they're looking at a lot of different contexts. And that's what we're doing now socially. That's what we're doing informationally. Uh, if we're intellectually honest, then, you know, we're all facing a plurality of realities. So then it becomes a question of how do they interface with each other? And how does that relate to how we interface with each other, uh, both as a liminal community of people who specialize in that, but also as members of the broader human population, which consists of many other types of people that we have to interface with and perform some constructive, uh, almost diplomatic function with. And also in terms of inner practice, how do our different plural selves relate to each other? How do the different internal systems within us, heart, mind, body, left and right, conscious and unconscious, how do they relate to each other in a way that doesn't put one over the others or cancel the division or get trapped in the division? So how do we become much more capable of occupying the interstitial space, being comfortable, becoming newly indigenous to the in-betweens of things. And that's something that, in a way, everyone is going to have to do, because unless we completely regress as a species, the only way forward is through and beyond the pluralism that we're facing. So in order to regain integrity and sincerity, we're going to have to become very comfortable with the multifarious and the ironic, the intercontextual. That's a big work, but that work is assisted by people who have a special inclination to work into that and try to build those capacities. So I see myself in that group and, and in attempting to speak to that group and ask others to um, increase their efforts in that regard. Yes, yes, that makes sense. So I did write something else down as well before we began. And I'm actually not too happy with it at all as a clear statement. I think it's certainly something which is perhaps quite unclear. I'm not even sure how much I agree with it. 
But, you know, we have this expression made popular, of course, by Zach Stein, this time between worlds as a, as a wording that points to this. Well, it points very much to a liminal time before I think in principle it must it holds open some possibility that at least a sufficiently prehensible world as worldview as context for exchange as pedagogical context in principle we're moving towards one of those or at least there's a hope that one of those might be possible in a manner that can hold up, let's say, to the at least the, the power of its own previous creations. It would be somewhat humble about it. But nevertheless, a time between worlds. And it does seem to me that what the shamanic in the context we're speaking about, and we've used the prefix meta there I just for the rest of this I think I'll interchange the two that there's a certain art form and I suppose there will be many but there's a particular one that I think you and I are both referencing because of our shared interest in relating with the plurality of ideas and yet finding a deep commonality of what it is to participate and be generative and connect with the world and connect with others in that process in a way that in a way that's evocative of a deep whole making is language I use. I, it seems to me like the art form of what it is to create with many people in that context when there is perhaps, so let's, let's take for instance, there's an event that I think I'll probably publish this podcast before it takes place. It's in a couple of weeks time that I'm holding here in person. And it's, it, it invites a, 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 an Anglican bishop uh, Zen Roshi and a student of Sufism to into dialogue with myself and we'll also have community there and there's community participation and but in this case you know you have distinct traditions and without speaking for those people individually just as an example of the kind of difference in commitment of identity to particular paths even when those paths even when uh, taking the Sufi path, for instance, as something which is particularly open about its cultivation of mysticism and mystical practice with respect to coming into unity and recognizing deep connections between things, recognizing there are many ways to, <laughs> many paths to come into connection. There is nevertheless still a structure associated with that practice and and the lineage, and this is my teacher, and this is this is how I express what it is to be in relation with many paths that come into whole making process with each other. And so there's a navigation of these different languages, and and I'll add one more into the mix. One of the other previous podcasts I did, and I think it'd be worth addressing this for listeners who are listening to this one now. It was with a it was at Esoteric Festival with a man named Heath Myers, who identifies as a starseed activator and while he himself is i think quite critical of uh, what he sees as sort of new age isms i think for many in 
listening to his channeling and developing contact with what he would refer to as interdimensional beings, we have here something that could be seen very much through that lens of New Age spirituality. And of course, there could be conversations about that. But nevertheless, there are, in many important senses, at the level of language, very different ontologies that are coming into play, and some which might be seen as potentially even blasphemous by others. And I've had, had this desire for a very long time, think about what it is to bring gurus together, bring leaders together, whether they're in, you know, uh, frontier discourse communities, or perhaps well-known in more local communities, what it is to bring leaders together and have them participate in conversations such that the field that is present is able to come at least into what I could say some words here and I certainly have an orientation with respect to that but perhaps I'll leave them open because where I'm moving to and what I want to ask you for your thoughts about that participatory art form of generativity of really what it is to bring that kind of diversity together when perhaps there isn't established yet especially here in Australia really have to have quite a well-developed attractor in many ways for people to jump on and commit their time to understanding why even both like a praxis of coming into connection with other other religions other ways of seeing other secular but yet religiously held concerns for the world. There's a tremendous amount of learning and it's a doing something different. It is a doing, it's a stepping away from one's, the commitments of one's lineage. It, it very much is stepping into something in which Christianity is not leader, Sufism is not leader, although they might have things to offer which are profoundly insightful with respect to a deep kind of authorship of what that context can become. There is a profound humility that's required to really step into the process of sharing in relation with such deep dynamics for the sake of, in principle, how we can live together, how we perhaps must live together, should we remain attached to an image of some kind of coherence that billions of people can live in relation with in this time so there's there's a necessity of of letting a certain amount go in order to step into the brew step into the cauldron and it seems to me the effort to create those contexts and to invite people who are at various stages of coming into appreciation for the importance of that effort that the creation of that context is what's well, been very i've been trying for a long time and it was always going to take a very long time uh, if possible at all and so it's no surprise to say that it's challenging but my point is that it seems like an art form that is still to come does not necessarily seem to me that the meta shamanic as i might feel connection to it at times that its time is not yet here although of course it is in the sense of maintaining orientation with respect to that vision and of course meeting in the here and now and so of course it is but i am certainly led by visions of what it is to create 
uh, and just to interact, which are very much works in progress and very much are to be unfolded, unfurled naturally. They cannot be forced in any way. It's, um, and they cannot be marketed either in that sense. Like, I, they can have to be signaled, but they, for that, for the kind of participation we're speaking about, the maturity of stepping in as well as being called, both confronting and surrendering, of really affirming, but at the same time letting go, such a nuanced and mature process of holding to the integrity of one's path and one's way while at the same time opening oneself to something which will be perceived by others who cannot see as clearly what's taking place as a potentially a forsaking of some of that structure. That is not, you know, that is to treat that with the dignity that, that it requires is as nuanced as the deep touch of relating in the here and now and um, discerning the subtlety of that. There's, because these kind of contexts to come or that maybe are necessary now, at times they can very much hang on just the, what appears to be the, the thinnest of threads and could be ruptured just like that. And then faith in the whole endeavor would very much be damaged. So the art form of that is something, in, the, in a way, there's something of that, 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 that that's still to come. But I'm not happy with that because, of course, here it is right now. And, and I'm curious about how you, how alive, how, how vital is the exchange of your energy toward the creation of that kind of context that I'm trying to articulate and I'm hoping does at least a good enough job of, of articulating something that we share in common appreciation, although I'm sure there's some difference and I might have not done a good job of that. How vital is that for you? What I find myself almost compulsively involved in, you know, when I check myself internally, my values go very much to personal life, family, and also to my individual inner practice and its interesting results. But when I look at myself as if from the outside, it looks like I'm compulsively <laughs> putting my energy into this thing. So I would say very vital, but that vitality isn't necessarily obvious to me at any given moment. It just is a description of what I'm doing. Uh, there's a sort of, you know, for some time, there's going to need to be a good teamwork between traditional religious forms, new religious forms, and a kind of secularity that functions as if it's religious. And these three have got to get along, and they have to have certain things in common. They have to be informed by and interfaced by individuals and networks of individuals who are capable of hearing them all 
capable of understanding what kinds of psychotechnologies they're working on, capable of understanding what kind of collective meaning making they're trying to do and who want to help them do that better. I think they're all going to have to be much more ecological in their orientation, that regardless of what framework they come into this with, uh, nature, complexity, symbiosis, and the general situation of the planet has got to be a key form of that. So there's a shamanic Christianity and a shamanic Judaism and a shamanic Buddhism that still needs to come forward. Uh, and they've all got to become more flexible and robust because the shocks to the human system are going to be a very pervasive and very strange, it seems. I was uh, writing something this morning. We, we do these uh, metamodern spirituality retreats in Vermont, and we decided to turn the lodge into a publishing company and have several books available from some of the members at the next event. And so I agreed to write a book called Gurdjieff for a Time Between Worlds, uh, which borrows. So I spent actually some of the time this morning thinking about different meanings of time between worlds. But one of the things I love about Gurdjieff's work is it's a kind of uh, like preschool for religious possibilities. The goal is not to tell you what worldview to have. The goal is to make you capable of a worldview, right? To Gurdjieff, you can't just decide to be a Buddhist or a Christian by aligning yourself socially. Are you actually capable of living that life? That's a very interesting question. And that's the kind of thing that separates out people who ostensibly are part of the same tradition. We see this in the Bible where uh, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? It's the story of a Jewish person who's injured, who's sick, who needs help, and he's not helped by his family members, and he's not helped by people in the same religion as him. He's helped by a very specific individual from a rival group who just happens to connect with him personally. So there's something about the way that the personal the deeply human and the spiritual operate apart from the social level that's essential because you could be an atheist, you could be a Sufi, you could be whatever, you could be new age. Um, but if you have depth, if you have presence, if your wisdom continues to unfold, if you're capable of seeing across divisions in some way, then you are the kind of person who can participate differently. Even if your statements about the world are the same, as another person's statements who has none of those qualities. So I think we have to really be looking for and bringing together and trying to cultivate and encourage individuals within any apparent worldview who have these deeply human spiritualizing capacities. Yes, well said. And I, I agree with you. And I, yes, find myself, it's a difficult thing to... I mean, yes, I, you, you just have, but it's a difficult thing to put into words one's intuition for recognizing another's openness to exchange in a particular kind of way and can dignify the other while at the same time remain in dedication to returning to the integrity which makes possible the continuity of contact as relationship between them. It's, it is that touch with how we meet ecology now. Yes, there's a number of branch points here. 
let's say we have a number then of people gathering and they're coming more or less from different traditions. They might have some shared awareness of a desire to connect more broadly and be in relationship with patterns that relate to the whole and to enter a whole making process with each other. And then dynamics that are closer to the logistical, economical, structural, hierarchical, organizational, sort of like relational authority, all these types of things. There is there's something about being able to name and actually relate with key tensions that are in some respects in the way of the realization of the potential we might be holding in image and in the heart and in many respects really breathing through in the here and now with respect to a desire to create contexts where we can be in relation like truly be in relationship a generative relationship with between the tensions that dissect so much of culture at various levels in such a predictable and boring but also uh, say boring on the one hand but also endlessly in some sense reactively fascinating to watch play out you know because when people listen to Jordan Peterson speak to x or y there's very much part of though is this going to be the you know Zuckerberg Musk showdown in the Colosseum we're actually going to see a fight happen as well because that would be kind of interesting that would seem like a cultural moment so here it is here's one here's one of the tensions then at meeting in the context of private conversation meeting in the context of public conversation do carry along these different responsibilities you know, one might be in the case of the public to make it that little bit more accessible to have in mind that one is communicating more broadly I seek to do that and share it and make possible opportunities to pay attention with it, hold it to account, come in, weave it, all these things, right? But there are many, how to say, when it comes to matters of frustration or pain, some things seems to be better to resolve privately. And I think there has to be a third, right? And I'm Certainly, and, I, and I, I do have this suspicion that some of the esoteric language and a lot of this meta this, meta that is actually in pursuit of creating a context for participation that's neither private nor public because it's so difficult to stay with in some important sense that actually there's a quite a lot of investment that has to take place in order to be with it such that it constitutes a membrane of its own. And so, you know, it's, there's, something, there's something of an in-betweenness. But I, I've always been interested in trying to relate community at a sort of grassroots level with, let's say, the, the more, we use the language of the more elite members of various discourse communities, the, the authorities, the influencers, you know, those that attract attention because they're carrying energies of projection that themselves Yes, they're the very things we kind of want to work with, but bring a kind of baggage of expectation and which can often be antithetical to what it is to really meet each other and relate in the here and now with where we're actually at. And so that, you know, is, is, is natural and that's the way it is. And to try and build this relationship between, to try and understand 
how in that sense to create the kind of it all of a sudden expands into a whole the whole problem of culture itself it's hard to think about how actually to create the conditions in which and this is something you know i've stated on many occasions wanting to be part of creating a field be part of a field in its making which can hold to integrity support the integrity of the crafting of voice about matters of profound importance right and just the matters of living for the people as part of that but what that really calls from people is um yeah it's it's an awful lot and it seems like there's something in the second person field of it it's not structure yet it's not third person although it's going to have to have those dynamics and the first second and third are always going to be in relation and to treat the dignity of the of the processing and the reality of the of the first person well but the the second person me and you here we are in that sense the the vitality of that exchange how to actually support the becoming of that support the cultivation of that when the structure of it in our time is so crucial to actually bring it about and the people the projected energies about those people about lineages about ways are critical in the that's where the the gathering point for that's where the that's where the pool of energy is in some sense and so there are all these in is this very interesting incentive type dynamic that comes in when it comes to authority and relating with authority and the and the massaging the interests of authority and to bring authority and you know and so it's a very diplomatic thing this meta shamanic anyway i i'm caught in in between here trying to articulate a lot to try and have something that is there for public relation and at the same time move us a little bit more towards tensions and it's so difficult to find the time with people unless there's is something that is in service of these broader aims of public signaling and that's this challenge everybody you know and it's and I myself included I although more now than previously feel the necessity of uh, the work of signaling in a certain way so that opportunities become available so i can gain the resources to to live and to build and yet there is this uh, tension in the very context of that dynamic itself which seems not as fit as it perhaps needs to be in order to do the really deep work and so i wonder how you relate to that i've certainly made a number of efforts to communicate this over time so thank you for listening yeah i think there are 
a number of strategies that can be deployed to cultivate the second person relationship and to build intersubjective fields more deeply. And that might be something we want to explore. But there's certainly a tension between how do you set up spaces for the people that you really want and how do you set up spaces that bring in enough other people to be materially supportive and to spread the ideas and the practices to them. And maybe there's always going to be a tension between those that look something like the esoteric exoteric balance in, in religion. Traditionally, I'm in a public facing situation with the podcast that I do, but by and large, my personal preference is for smaller groups of people who are strongly self-selected and mutually vetted so that I'm working with people where there's a, a an expectation of a high amount of trust and a high amount of capacity built into the exercises. One of the ways I do that is by being willing to be um, confusing and difficult to track and naming things in a way that will be attractive to a very particular niche community. But that's because I'm not depending on this for livelihood at the moment. Uh, there need to be ways that we set up um, a variety of different kinds of financial and material institutional mechanisms for people who are involved in this. And those have to somehow support the people that want to be engaged in the more delicate, smaller versions of this. Because if you have either one on its own, it's not really going to work. Yes. Hmm. And that's where I'm at with it. That's that's where I've that's where I've been at with it. Suddenly, there's as well been an emphasis on being consistently open to anyone that comes in to the context. To be open to taking steps in to that. There's all. It's partly goes back to what I expressed. What for instance, voicecraft is what I'm doing in so many different ways. And, you know, sometimes Tara and my, my partner, she'll say to me, that wasn't clear at all what you said. Like, he doesn't know what you're talking about. But he did catch a bit, actually quite a lot of what I was talking about. I definitely didn't catch all of it, but there was, there was, there was a transmission there and there was a connection about some of it. And then the way is open if, are you interested to learn more, you know, and actually, it can't all be given. It can't all be given unless we participate in naming it and realizing it together. This maybe dovetails back a little bit to the, the, the mutual learning aspect that I think is so important in what it is to even look at the educational part of... So, for instance, you know... Um, in a couple of weeks, and I haven't done this before any of the other local events I've done here. I did do one of the, you know, six week process with some people in the online network a couple of years ago titled Dialogic Guides, which in its way is an attempt to share some understanding, but to animate that understanding and to unfold that understanding in a natural process of recognizing what it is to participate in conversation together and to relate with coherence and 
incoherence and resonance and dissonance and what it is to welcome voices into that process and to relate with dynamics of of challenge as well as surrender in some important sense confrontation and surrender is language i often use part making and whole making as well and so we're going to have one of these sessions just a little bit and there's something a little bit more for me there i've just lost it the mutual learning and the animation that is what i wanted to return to has to be felt has to be shown has to be participated in to be understood in that way has to be lived to be understood it's it's not just a matter of obviously signaling a message just a proposition that's only going to work if someone has already a sense of how to relate with that it does make it a very long process though of what it is to what it is to gather and connect that's for sure what could you say about that mutual learning piece because it doesn't feel like these things like to to teach to transmit it's like only it feels there's part of that that's true but i actually and it's part of my aversion to often you know using terms like dialogos and why i sometimes avoid engaging too much in uh, I, you know obviously there's a lot of value to be learned from different methodologies and what have you and different ways to name things but i have in general had a bias towards being skeptical of the naming of various things as the way or what the thing is of what it is to really communicate with each other because it's just bullshit really because <laughs> you've got to realize it in the here and now and you've got to step into it with the you know from your from the from the orientation of your own dignity of your own grace and you ain't gonna bloody name it and do it in the ways that some who have come through a process over many years who have then looked to crystallize that understanding then then name things you know it has to be what it is to be that which participates in creation and to name and to know and to dissolve and to reform maps in relation with territory and to be territory in in participatory creation with each other is to be realized in an imminent novel encounter and so to the degree that's ever like lost or forsaken in some sense then you're not doing the thing and yet we have to develop structure to help and so and i, and I, I totally totally get that tension of it and i i have a bias towards one and it's um and i you know i'm consciously trying i think to uh, correct for that but how, how do you relate to that that kind of tension in relationship with what it is to the mutual participatory aspect of what it is to actually build and share the process and welcome and invite and create a context in which there are people who appreciate the importance of what it is to actually be with and generatively relate with difference obviously this whole culture war thing it's like all these issues that continue to fucking play out it's like, oh, fuck, okay, I do actually know some people who I can see as in earnestly trying to actually relate with that in a sense that seems to me like that's more like the thing. It's not getting that much recognition and, appre and appreciation, to be honest, in the scheme of things. And there's some hilarious things going on. You see, like RFK Jr. appear on this podcast and that podcast, almost all the alternative media podcasts. And how much real relating with the tension of the predicament and dynamic that that man is. 
there's obviously so much, but how much of that was really done in a way that offered anything at all other than just playing into the a very, very, I say basic, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. We are not, we are not seeing, I don't think we are seeing the people truly dedicated to what it is to intelligently relate with difference <laughs> in positions in culture in which these culture war dynamics and, and polarities can participate in a way that isn't just repetitive of the same cycles we've been part of for a while. And I know they're moving and developing at their own, at their own paces and with their own ways. And the, you know, the, the arrows as telos of those movements of cultural memes themselves are playing out and these things take time. But, but um, there are some very, very interesting dynamics about what it is to navigate authority, challenge authority, hold authority, share authority that are very, very structurally different and have to be navigated with nuance. And I, and it's just a curious thing. I'm speaking for an awful long, long, long time here. And you're probably going to hit me back with like a two minute clear answer. And then I'm going to be like, fuck. <laughs> well, there's a lot of different aspects to that. The, the authority thing is interesting because it speaks to a functional aspect of human relationships, but it's been vastly exaggerated under certain cultural and historical conditions. And it's very easy for that notion of authority to serve uh, relatively immature subconscious impulses in human beings. I think more in terms of respect. I think more in terms of um, different tactics for participation in different circumstances. And this is especially true. I've been in a lot of places where religious or subtle energy transmission is the assumption of the context. And there's a lot of talk about surrender and submission. Um, it describes a way of relating in order to participate together in some kind of enlivening phenomena. But it may be that the phraseology of submission and surrender belongs to a particular historical epoch where a particular simplistic kind of hierarchy was involved. And we would do much better to look for new terms because it seems to me that whether it's intellectual or emotional or something like subtle energy, it's co-generated. And that the, the new tools we have, the, the, electronic network tools that now define the way we think in our era suggest collaborative bilateral codependent generation of things and that that's for better or worse the metaphor going forward i think it works very well with ecology i think it works very well with a new sort of post therapeutic culture where we start to understand the complexity and the vulnerability that's in everyone more deeply so I think we do have to be thinking about ourselves essentially as peers, but that some people maybe are better at being peers and that deserves certain respect in certain contexts. So we can't get rid of that. And we have to be just humanly capable of doing the basic gestures of 
command and obey and give space and take space, all those basic functions, basic letters in our human alphabet. We should all be more or less competent at all of those things so that we can be a good team together. Like if you have a sports team, if you somebody's playing soccer or football, somebody gets the ball, suddenly they have to be the leader and everybody else has to be assisting them. Right. But if if that ball is passed, suddenly that person is now a subordinate or assistant. Right. So the nature of a team by its very uh, structure exceeds the normal notions of authority and hierarchy in a way that doesn't eliminate them. Uh, So that's more how I tend to look at it. Um, Yeah, there were a lot of other things in what you said, so I'm not sure which way (laughs) you'd most love to go on that. Well, I'm curious about which way you'd like to go. I I, I, I like how you relate it to the notion of authority. Um, it carries through a lot of what I really seem to get at more in, in terms of the um, the authorship sense of authority. And and that's precisely what you articulated. So that's very much in the spirit of what I meant it. But where would you like to take it? Where would you like to? Because there, there was perhaps too much, but I, I actually, I, I care about it all. And for me, it all very much is a, it's a living gestalt of how I'm, trying to be here now well the the other piece that stood out to me was this uh simultaneous need to have at least three things going on in, in this sort of project or work that we're talking about one of the things is for people who are very good at forms of thinking and forms of feeling and states of being that operate outside of the normal alternatives those people have to get together work together deepen the capacity that they have, get better at exploring it and expanding it and making it really a part of who they are. We also have to be figuring out how to share some of that that's practically useful with other people so that that can spread and figuring out who those people are who need it, who those people are who could potentially receive it and which bits of it are most practical for them in their lives. And then the third thing at the same time is we need to be building structures. And structures consist of attitudes, they consist of phrasings, they consist of locations, and they consist of uh, like memetically distributable psychotechnologies. Uh, so all of those things have to be going on simultaneously. We, we literally can't do all of them perfectly well all the time. So we're all going to end up specializing and circulating between that. But if we let any one of those pieces lag, then the whole thing falls apart. Yes. Well said. I think about something like that in relationship to a triple of education, contribution and belonging, where that first part you mentioned could see as a particular aspect of the function of contribution and then obviously different levels it's funny how that word levels and and development has become again one of these words when i say it i'm like ah there's there's some pain around that word that's been one of the more frustrating conversations to witness for me and then the belonging aspect you could look at sort of structures in terms of some of the types of practical conditions of of belonging and so it seems to me like and i see those as as supporting of cultivating culture i see those education contribution and belonging the interdependencies there is in relationship to cultivating culture and so and it's partly because of the you know 
the breadth of that, that as you say, there are these multiple focuses and often an imbalance trying to tend to this, tend to that, the effort in some sense, both at understanding, attempting to realize it through mutual participation as itself a process of discovery and to have that whole thing be energized in the context of the transactional exchange processes which are so necessary and which I, you know, certainly throughout my 20s was in a time in my life where it was that much more possible just to sacrifice in that regard and just to be like, no, I'm just going to stick to relationships of care. I'm just going to show up essentially always in that context, in that sense of attempting to be in relation that's helpful to support the onwards way of whoever the person is in relationship with myself. And that truly can go in all the many unique directions appropriate for that relationship, that person. And so there's a, the deep work, of course, of all of this is something that is so far beyond any particular nameable structure that points to itself as doing the work. And that's, again, one of these interesting, this has actually often been one of the, and perhaps, you know, perhaps immaturely in some ways, perhaps immaturely in some ways, just part of my own process of, of meeting authority. Um, and I, and I hear what you're saying about authority and how you tend to, how you prefer to see those things. But the reality is we do meet contexts in which the relational um, dynamic carries forward a sense of status and authority that is just part of what it is to interact in the social world before it's possible to develop the intimacy and trust to actually become to assess that in many ways there's so much subtlety of positioning with respect to that that there's clearly still a something valuable and accurately descriptive about using authority in its multiple senses that is and and it has been a something i um somewhat a little bit more we could say naively immaturely mostly unsuccessfully occasionally successfully performed was a check on whether or not the quality of the interaction in the here and now was in fact in treatment of that broader than greater than in the here and now that actually is what is animating the relevance and importance of any of this that we could name in structure. But the reality is to be in service to that broader in the context of culture, of course, we have to be involved in developing structures with all their names. And we have to commit ourselves to the various exchange obligations that might be necessary in order to see out the telos of that vision, even in an experimental way. But of course, we know that is something to be careful about because Holding on too long constricts, decays, all of that. And so being aware of the subtleties of how one is actually treating the, the nuance of all of that and, and whether or not one's being caught up in a particular projection of it, or what the time horizon is we're actually in service to, it's, it's all so, so interesting. It's all so, so interesting. There are certain kinds of approaches to practice that I think give people a better position relative to all of that. Like the Zen tradition in particular is full of uh, ways of experiencing a trap as being a liberation, right? A koan is a kind of a trap. A discipline is a kind of a trap. And can you figure out how to feel 
very liberated within a particular constraining form. Now, those are very interesting practices in terms of uh, having a little bit more ease and confidence and a good conscience about the relationship between the reality we're trying to work with that can't be named and the fact that we're always required to name it and build up some kind of structure, right? If there's an anxiety about that tension, then we can get into places that aren't very productive. But if we just accept that the tension itself is the invitation to discover the liberated condition within the apparently confining condition, then we have a little bit more of a, of a workable attitude about these things. Yes. Yes. Well said. Well, I know we want to draw this to a close in just a little bit. Something we did, though, I think in the maybe 15 minutes or so, if we do have that left, I think it would be nice sure. this time rather than to um, leave it completely to the side again. Uh, we've spoken about the notion of pilgrimage very briefly with each other a couple of times. And, um, and in the practical envisioning, you could even say, to be honest, that the strategic aspects of what I believe it is to what I can presently see as a decent crack at being in service to what we're actually speaking about involves the co-construction of a kind of journey of pilgrimage with different points along the way in which some obviously varied uh, context for interaction, art forms, practices, all the things um, take place along that way. Yes, this is something that I, um, in when the moments become possible, just trying to hint at and articulate here and there with respect to what a collective vision of building looks like. And I do in fact think Australia is a very interesting context for this actually as well. I know obviously North America everywhere is. Uh, but there's some particular things Australia has which are very, very interesting to see if it's possible to come into relationship with in terms of understanding the mystery, because it is a mystery to me, of, of what is meant in the notion of song lines, for instance, in indigenous culture and what pilgrimage can look like speaks to notions of initiation a little bit as well in terms of what it is to journey through a foreign land towards a holy place. So I just wonder what that word means to you in the broad context we've been a part of and how you've been thinking about it. Think about it in, in three primary ways. One is that I think there are emerging networks and communities that are currently trying to express themselves through the production of events. Emerge, metamodern spirituality, internet, you know, intro Europe or whatever it is. These things are sort of fluctuating, but I, I imagine them starting to stabilize as they repeat. And I imagine people starting to get a feel for which ones they actually care about and who they actually care about being connected to. And a larger and larger number of people in our network starting to structure their year as a journey between particular places and groups and events that have a certain kind of regularity, a bit of a pilgrimage circuit in the liminal space. So I see that emerging. 
Um, another part is the deep connection to the land, right? And with my emphasis on the shamanic and the indigenous, I'm very attuned to this part. But we, in modernity, we've significantly underestimated the influence that place has on the shaping of our cognition and the shaping of our participation with each other and on our ability to draw the right kinds of conclusions about the situations that we're in through a full access to the imaginal and etheric dimensions of, of place, um, nature, power spots, whatever it is, the evocative capacity that the human brain's relationship to certain aspects of the landscape have. So there's a long tradition of initiation and transformation and invitation to a different kind of conversation between the intelligence of the human and the intelligence of the ecological complexity that has to go on. So finding those spots, um, making journeys to the places in nature that not symbolically, not like, oh, this is Stonehenge, because I've heard about Stonehenge, but to those places where your organism, either alone or with people you trust, actually resonates more, the kind of acupuncture points of the planet. I think we have to be building up the capacity to sense that, the integrity to really validate it with our being and not with the idea of a magic spot and then committing ourselves to putting some of our time and energy into being at those places as our ancestors did. And then the third way that I think about it is as a developmental exercise. So in my personal description of how spiritual praxis works, it's the creation of a an extra quality, a numinous surplus coherence out of the integration or harmonization of internal systems. And that's something that classical pilgrimage practice often had. So you imagine a situation where a very poor, not well-informed, hardworking local peasant is going to every year or every fifth year undertake some kind of mission. They're going to climb this mountain, and maybe they're going to do it on their knees, or maybe they're going to do it while chanting a certain uh, mantra that they've got. They're undertaking a practice that's going to be a physical ordeal, a mental ordeal, and there's a prescribed emotional valence to have as well. So they're intentionally selecting a physical effort, a mental effort, an emotional effort, maybe a social effort as well. And they're holding all of those things together over an extended period of time. And that provides the chamber, the context in which to bring several different important human systems to bear at the same time in roughly equal amounts. And that's what gives you access to this gestalt overflow that's possible for us. Fuck yeah. Well said, man. Awesome. Yeah, I suppose to meet you in the thinking about that, in what ways I can, I am, I want to build these things. I'm building these things. It's, <laughs> I, it is, that is what I'm trying to do. It's definitely part of it. You know, in terms of how many bricks have been put on top of one another, it's a completely different question. It just makes so much sense to me. It makes so much sense to me. And I, and I think that initiation, rites of passage, to actually think that through at the levels you're, you're speaking about, 
the only thing that did flag up in my mind that I that some of the way I've been thinking about spiritual process is of course a relationship with internal systems but I I do see it as a necessity of um, metabolizing that which obviously comes through the external as well and so in that sense would you factor that in would you also include yeah I'm going to just first put aside my normal distinction between spirituality and religion as one of them being interpersonal, the other one being intrapersonal. So right. there's that. Uh, but when I think of the individual, I'm thinking about the like the full mandala of their experiences, right? There's the embedded and extended and embodied cognition, the way John Verveke talks about it. So the things that are in your perceptual field, the things that are in your life, the objects and the places, these are all part of your personal cognitive and perceptual experience, right? So there's um, ways of dealing with them directly, and there's also ways of perceiving them that can be interactive with other different systems in yourself. So you have a behavioral relationship, let's say, with an object. You have a perceptual relationship with an object. Those are two of the important internal subsystems. And you can have an intellectual relationship with it. You can have an emotional relationship with it. And the more of these relationships you can bring to bear at the same time with some kind of balance, the more that relationship can be sacralizing, can be productive of something that we would want to call the sacred. But I would add one more thing to that um, as per the comment I made before, which is for me, this all takes place in the sort of biospheric context. Uh, it's a much more difficult argument to make, but for me personally, the individual life of spiritual practice serves a function within the ecology. It's not just for the human being to indulge some spiritual aspect of themselves. It, it, the way I feel about it is that it literally performs a function in the Gaian system, the way an organ performs a function in a body, yeah. right? So there's an imaginal aspect to a picture like that. I find it very meaningful. It would be, you know, problematic or at least complex and nuanced to make a scientific argument for that. But that's the way that I hold it personally. Yeah. Did you contribute to Cadell's philosophy portal book, Abyssal Arrows, the Nietzsche? One? Yes, I just interviewed uh, him about it the other day. And I've awesome. got my copy upstairs. Yeah, yeah. I, mine arrived the other day. I have. I I wrote something for that as well. And I'd be curious if you do find the time to maybe I don't know. Maybe the first something like there's like five parts. I think maybe in the it's not too long anyway. What I'm articulating there is a, very much about a relationship between spirituality, religion, and ecology. And I'm referencing a number of people who who you'll know. But in terms of how I'm seeing that. I feel it, you know, very much in resonance with what you're describing. And I'd be curious if in your reading that you felt I was missing something important or whether or not it was, ah, no, that's nice. I'm trying to incorporate the language of the first, second and third person in relationship to those as well. So the spirituality is first, the ecology is second and religion is third. And I like how Forrest articulates how a very, very short articulation of um, spirituality and religion it's similar to, as you've said, but just that spirituality, in my language, as the metabolization of world through the prism of self, they're not the words he uses, he does use word, word and self, and then religion as the, the integration of the self into a world. And so it's for sure that metabolization and transformation and all the rest of it in, with respect to the internal processing, but it's 
you know, obviously there's percepts and there's concepts, there's the external world that's being breathed through. And I do very much see it like, like the breath is the, the kind of the in and out and the relationship between that process would, would be more in the ecological context of this. I would be uh, happy to read that section and uh, give you my feedback on that. And I think very much that the, the, the metabolic or breath-like model is a very good one for this process. Uh, the only thing that I usually want to stipulate about that is that it's a multi-channel process, right? And this is also the same thing when it comes to how do we deepen second-person relationship. You bring more, one thing is to bring more different types of experience to bear, right? If you're having... If you can have imaginary exchanges and emotional exchanges and philosophical exchanges and physical exchanges, suddenly there's a lot more to the second person or there's a lot more to your ability to metabolize and feed back to the world space that you inhabit. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, perhaps that's a nice place to bring it to a close. He's always too short. I do look forward to speaking again. I'm grateful that you've taken the time. Thank you, brother. And... Everybody, you can listen to Lehman and Bruce Alderman on the integral stage. You'll find links to it in the show notes. It is an excellent podcast. And I think for anyone, I mean, there's more people in my, my social world who are becoming more interested in integral theory because it, of course, does serve as such a helpful bridge into what have the affect of feeling like they are the forefront efforts to try and relate with the complexity of life and i definitely have a lot of respect for integral theory and for both yourself and bruce as i was trying to find a different word for articulators because it's just too many it's just too bloody many syllables but you're great articulators of that and um and a number of other things too so definitely worth checking out thank you layman yeah, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Tim, and happy to do it anytime. Awesome, brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Voicecraft Conversations expand how the world is known. It's about connecting souls and building culture. If you'd like to learn more about the Voicecraft Project, you can do so at voicecraft.io. We run online events for a global network and local events in Melbourne, Australia. Check out course offerings at the Voicecraft Academy and become a member of the Voicecraft online community at voicecraft.network. <laughs>